Kia ora koutou. G'day again, guys. Thanks for joining us. Uh, looking forward to spending uh, a little bit of time with you now, having an interesting conversation with my mate, Georgia Andrews. Georgia's got a really interesting story. She's part of the intersex community. In fact, she's an advocate in that area. Now, uh, I like to invite in people who are smarter than me to have conversations with. And if I'm honest, that's probably every guest we've had so far has been smarter than me um, and learn from them. And to be honest with you, today uh, I asked Georgia to come in because I want to get some clarity around some LGBTI issues. And whilst if you know me personally, you may know that I'm already... um, I've already been exposed to that area and several reasons for several uh, opportunities, but there's still a lot that confuses me. So I thought I'd grab Georgia, bring her in for an hour, we'll have a bit of a chat about all things LGBTI, and especially in the area of the intersex community. So here's Georgia Andrews. Enjoy our latest Department of Conversation podcast. We are good. Hi, Georgia. How you doing? I'm doing marvellously, thank you for asking. George Andrews, um, rather than me going through the whole thing, because for people um, who who know a bit about me, both of those people who are watching and listening, mm-hmm. um, they know a bit of my background in the whole LGBTI world as an ally. Um, give us a little bit about your background, what you're about, who you are, and then we'll figure out what we're going to... As you know, this whole department of conversation thing we actually don't know what we're going to talk about really so give us a bit about you who you are and then let's see what comes where to start um at the beginning so beginning so i was born in dunedin i grew up in waipiata just south of ranfairly on my parents sheep and beef farm so was there for first 13 years of my life um until i went to boarding school in timaru so I went from a tiny little primary school of 12 kids to a boarding school of 350. So 12 kids at primary school? Yeah, 12 Holy kids moly. from year one to year six. So so like two kids per year. <laughs> we, had, we had two classrooms when I started at the school. There were 25 kids when I started yeah. in year one and we ended up with 12. So Did you have any years that were empty? No. So there was like literally at some, least some, one kid yeah, every year? Yeah, some years there was one kid in, My goodness. in the year groups. So. That's, that's interesting because that's like... Um, New Zealand of yesteryear. You know, you think about your parents in their 60s or 70s or 80s telling stories of that, but that was only 15 years ago or so. Yeah, wow. and it was, you know, it was an amazing school. We won Goodman Field a school of a year for a school with a, you know, population of 12 kids. So it was... Was there like a category, a uh, school of the year for pop for uh, roles under 20 and school of the year for roles under 100? We got school of the year for all schools in the country. Oh, really? Yeah, back in 2003, I think, 2004. You probably had some quite good results per capita because you only, <laughs> <laughs> you only had 12 to figure it out on. Well, you would hope so. <laughs> but no, so it was, it was a really nice environment, you know, growing up with all of those kids and all of the local families knew one another. So a very intimate setting. Mm. Um, and then I went off to boarding school when I was 13 because it was hard you know living in a rural area I was wanting to play sport and to play sport meant having to drive an hour each way for practice and then wow. for games so so this is when you were living at home that this was when I was living at gotcha. home yeah so um so I I left home and I went to boarding school in Timaru so I went to Craighead Diocesan uh, all girls Anglican so suddenly had seven other roommates 300 people at school with me so it was this massive life change you know going through adolescence and suddenly not knowing anyone um and so that led to a few years of school and then I became sick 
Um, so I developed migraine headaches and I was off school for several weeks on and off over the course of year 11, year 12. And it was a a really long convoluted process, which led to me receiving an intersex diagnosis. Um, so yeah, why I'm here today is I've, I'm intersex. Mm -hmm. So, um, intersex is a term used to describe people with, um, variations of sex characteristics that can't clearly or easily be put under the binary of a male or female body. So sex characteristics encompass things like hormones, chromosomes, mm-hmm. internal and external genitalia. Um, so for me, I, I'm female, so I was born female, raised female, but I actually have XY male chromosomes. So the only way for identifying your intersex uh, is chromosomally? You would not, I would not have known and the doctors would not have known if we hadn't had a chromosomal test done. Right. Um, and, and when you said you were going through migraines in school, is mm-hmm. that um, a condition of it or was there a stress factor or what? Or was it just something, there's something wrong here and you didn't know what it was, which caused stress, which caused migraines or how did that all come through? Yeah, so then they're still not really sure, but initially they thought that I had vision problems. So I ended up with glasses, but right. it didn't stop the migraines. And so I went on about, 20 courses of antibiotics. The doctors thought that I had ear infections related to headache. Right. And then that came back as inconclusive. You know, I was just continually being medicated, but there was nothing fixing the issue. And then my doctor said to me one day in a consultation that she thought I had a brain tumour. It's nice to hear. Yeah, <laughs> so she, she, I, I walked into the room and she sat me down and she said, Georgia, I think you have a brain tumour. And that was all she said and she continued with you'll have to have scans you'll have to go to the hospital in two weeks it's good that your school got all these awards and stuff I'm wondering did she ever get an award for like bedside manner because that that that, that seems to be rather than going hey we should get a scan and make sure everything's going okay to give you a, a sort of diagnosis without the evidence doesn't seem to be a particularly helpful uh way of delivering potential bad news no, I think I'm assuming you was, still know this doctor, so we've got to be a bit careful here and not um, slam yeah, it too I, much. I, you know, I, I don't name my doctors. Yeah, um, okay. And, you know, I, I hold a narrative that what's happened is in the past. Yep. And um, my attitude is that we work collaboratively to change things for the future, for, you know, patient outcomes in the future. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to name people today. Yeah, of course. Um, and, you know, and I just want to say that I sit here today and what I say is my personal opinion. I'm not speaking on behalf of any organisation. Right. Um, but... Yeah, so I went home and thought I was dying. Yeah. You know, you get told you've got brain cancer. Um, And then the test came back as inconclusive. And so I went back and saw her and she told me that I had a psychological condition and I was generating migraines as a result of some mental issue that I had. So like psychosomatic. Basically. And she said, you know, you need to sit down and figure out what's going on in your life that's causing you these symptoms. Again, thanks doctor. That seems pretty helpful. Do no harm and all that. So, you know, you were, (laughs) so I was, had cancer and I was cancer free and then I was crazy. So. And how, um, sorry, and just specify, how old were you when this was happening? uh, 16. Nice. So not really an important time in your life either to no. add more stress. Not, no, not at, all. at all. Not at all. It's not like I had exams and <laughs> yeah. yeah, social dynamics going on at all. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the fortunate thing was she went on leave. So I got to see a relieving doctor at mm-hmm. her clinic and the doctor was really confused as to why we hadn't found any conclusive evidence because yeah. there'd been tests going on for nearly a year. And I'd had blood tests done like eight months previous to seeing this relieving doctor 
And one Sunday night, I don't know why, but she went into the clinic and opened up my file to read back through my notes. And she saw that I had a chromosomal variation on my blood test results, which my GP had never told me about. She'd said initially that all of my blood tests were clear. So I'd been sitting for eight months, you know, thinking I was going crazy, thinking I had a brain tumour, when in reality it was the GP who had failed to appropriately read my blood test results. So it said there was a chromosomal abnormality? Yeah, it so didn't it, specify exactly what it was? No, it, it specified, um, well, it, it specified on the charts that there were um, high high thresholds of different sex hormones right? and there was imbalances in hormones, especially thyroid hormones. And so they, they had noted that there was, they needed to do chromosomal analysis and she had... But they hadn't? No, they hadn't. Right, she, so she, they she saw there was an abnormality but they never actually identified what that was. Yeah, she, And the she, GP should have gone, okay, there's something here, let's yeah. investigate further. Yeah. Did but, you ever, I mean, you're a very gracious person... <laughs> And I hear what you're saying about not looking back, but I'd like to know, did you ever then go to your GP and go, what the fuck? Um, we, so it's a continuing saga. Okay. Um, so it's, yeah, unfortunately it hasn't been that simple. Um, I immediately got referred back to the Southern DHB because mm-hmm. I was going to school in Canterbury. So I was under the right. South Canterbury DHB at that point. So I did not go back and see that doctor Okay. From that point in time, I right. blatantly refused to go and see her because of the way she treated me. Um, so I, yeah, I, I moved back to the Southern DHB and they then did some testing, which came back and said that I had XY chromosomes, um, that I had a condition called Swire syndrome. So Swire syndrome is where, um, so in just biology lesson, sure. um, for Typical female bodies, um, they will present with XX chromosomes and typical male bodies will present with XY chromosomes. Mm -hmm. So I have XY chromosomes, but there's a tiny little gene that sits on my Y chromosome which deleted. And that gene is what triggers um, male sexual development. Mm -hmm. So the creation of male sex hormone and physical male characteristics. So because that gene deleted on my Y chromosome, I developed a female anatomy. Right. Uh, aside from I wasn't born with ovaries, so I'm infertile, but mm-hmm. I have, and aside from that, I have stereotypical normal normal um, female genitalia. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, um, you know, a lot of these conversations uh, that you talk to, uh, you know, people in the LGBT community, especially uh, maybe the intersex community or the transgender community, um it's a no-go area to talk about things like genitalia and that kind of stuff. Mm. You are somewhat of an advocate, and we'll get to that shortly, although you have said you're here today not representing anyone. You seem very open talking about who you are and how you present, how, and you're comfortable with that? That's, is that you, do you see that as an educational process or what? Well, I, I wasn't originally comfortable with it, um, but that was out of the basis of doctors telling my family that we should not talk about my variation, saying don't tell your friends and don't tell your family that... Georgia has a medical condition. We mm. didn't have um, the term intersex to use at time of diagnosis. We were simply given my condition name, Swire syndrome. Um, but no, the doctors had said, not all of my doctors, but a number of my doctors had said, don't 
actively encourage Georgia to talk about these issues. Don't talk to her about it too much. Don't tell your friends. Don't tell your family. So what was what was their rationale for not? I mean, obviously you don't agree with this, mm-hmm. but what was their rationale for not talking about it? Um, because if we talked about it, I would be ousted by the local community and I'd become a radical flag waving activist. Right, ostracised, rejected, and then you would become. A, a, a troublemaker and the, and I'm presuming yeah. in quite a conservative society if it's sort of farming central Otago. Yeah, well, I grew up in a rural background, you yeah. know. Like I said earlier, everyone knew everyone. I could go down the street and name every single person 10 years ago. Um, so, you know, there was an intimate environment and, you know, s- some of my medical professionals didn't want, supposedly did not want to risk me facing issues as a result of being out. So were they were they more concerned as to how you would react in a mental health way to being ostracised or were they just being a bit conservative and we don't talk about these kinds of things around here? Well, I've thought about it a lot and I think... <laughs> <laughs> Part of, sorry for the accent. It was just, you know, it's not I'm not saying that Central Otago. I love Central Otago, but that just that came out naturally. <laughs> I... You know, I, I've thought about it and, you know, from the knowledge I have now yeah. as an advocate, I know that doctors aren't given a lot of supportive information right. to support young people who receive an under-sex diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I carry that story of, you know, the, the doctors made some comments, which I don't think were, in a, were appropriate at the time, but they were trying to do their best. Right. Okay. So they were they were ignorant. Yeah. On some level. That's, that's, that's my view. So this is, what are you now, 17 when this is happening, when doctors are saying, hush up, young thing, don't tell anyone? So they didn't tell tell me. This was a conversation that was had with my parents. Oh, okay. Yes, I wasn't present. And and are you okay to talk about how your parents reacted to that? What was their position? Yeah, well, we, you know, as a family, we didn't talk extensively about what had happened. Like, I only heard this part of, you know, the story a couple of years ago. So it's all still reasonably new to me. I was going to say, because um, you and I met, what, a couple of years ago? Yeah. Um, probably a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I remember that you were on quite a, a trajectory, if that is the correct yeah. word, uh, of, of knowledge yourself. Mm-hmm. And I've been watching you over the last couple of years on Facebook and stuff, and it's like all in now. And, 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 and so, so is that fair to say when you and I met, you had obviously got through that part, but you were still fairly new on the figuring the whole picture thing out? Yeah, so two years ago was the point in which I started coming out publicly. Right. Um, so I... You told me at a party pretty quickly. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were actually one of the first people who I told Really? Me yeah. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. That's lovely. So, um, yeah, I... We, like, my parents and I, we, we talked about medical findings and me going to doctors and needing to pay bills, but... You know, the deeper level of conversation around intersex didn't happen. And a main reason was we weren't given terminology. So right. I was told directly by a doctor that I wouldn't meet anyone else like me. And back in 2000. Like, like. At all. At all. Like, no one in this, we're in the South Island of New Zealand for people who might be watching or listening offshore. So, what are we? What, a million, million and a half people yeah. in the South Island? Like, is that what they mean? Or they mean no one in New Zealand? No, no one. They said, we know of a couple of people in New Zealand. They said, but you will never meet anyone like you. Um, so, I, you know, I. So, just pause. Sorry. <laughs> 
So what would the stats be around? I, I, I want to talk to you about LGBTI issues. Mm-hmm. And I know and will say very clearly you are not an advocate or an expert or a bastion of knowledge in all the letters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you'd probably say you're not necessarily the, the one with all the answers for the I no. either. But but we are going to talk about this. Yeah. So if we're just talking intersex, mm-hmm. um, what are the stats? How What, how, what percentage? Um, so the stat is approximately 1.7% of the global population are intersex, which is as common as having red hair. So 17 out of 1,000? 1.7%. So right? yeah, 17? 17 yeah, 17 out of 1,000. Yeah. So uh, that's 100%. 17,000 out of a million? 170. No, 17,000. You're out of a mathematician here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah 17,000 out of a million. Yeah. So that's so that's 60,000 people in New Zealand, give or take. But if you look at it, if you walk down. 60,000 people in New Zealand? If you walk down the main street. My numbers, right, Jace? That's 1.7. I'm just doing the math now for you. Hold on. But <laughs> if you walk down the street and see people with red hair, yeah. you know, then you've probably walked past someone or met someone or know someone who's intersex. Yeah. 1.7% wow. of New Zealand's population will be 76,500. Yeah, so I said 60,000. Based, yeah. based on 4.5 million. So that's mm-hmm. that's three quarters of the population of Dunedin across the whole of New Zealand. Mm. Crumb, and this is again ignorance from those doctors. I, 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 th- I think there's a lot of factors. I think that the lack of support for doctors is huge. Yeah, you know, I've met a lot of doctors, and I talk to them about their education and medical settings. Mm. And for for some doctors, they're barely getting two or three hours across their entire medical training around anything to do with intersex issues, mm. and it's sometimes just touching the outer edge. So you know they they can only learn what they can learn in a short space of time they have and with the resources that medical environments give them. So um, you basically have said yourself that you present as female mm-hmm. and if people didn't know about your diagnosis, they wouldn't know about your diagnosis and they wouldn't guess. No, well, I'm six foot one, which is probably the only thing that sort of throws people a little bit. Yeah. Um, was my mum's five foot three and dad's five foot eight. Right. So I do stand out. Yeah. And so, but aside from that, no, there's not really anything that would. So be the doctors are saying don't do it because you've never met anyone. Well, some doctors are saying mm-hmm. don't do it. So I guess the flip side to that same question is why feel the need to do it publicly? Because um, if nobody knows and nobody needs to know, mm-hmm. what's the reason behind? I'm going to say needing to tell people, but telling people what what mm-hmm. well, the flip side of that is, is what's the point in, in coming out as mm-hmm. intersex if you if you don't need to explain yourself to anyone. Um, so I I jumped online like seven and a half years ago to try and find community. Right. Because I just had this feeling of how can I be the only person on the planet like right. me? There so must you be had, other people. So you had an experience. internal feeling of I don't fit, where do I fit, how can I not fit yeah. somewhere? Yeah, okay. you know, why are my doctors giving me a label and telling me not to talk about it? Like something's going yeah. on here, there must be someone else. So I jumped onto an online chat room site, which I found after about three months of searching. You know, this is every night at boarding school, hiding under the bed covers so the matrons couldn't see me on my laptop. So you're still 17 Yeah, so okay. still 17 So you've had the diagnosis. So I've had the you've diagnosis. You've had the doctors say, shut your mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, your family are saying, well, let's follow doctor's advice and keep it on the DL? Well, we just, yeah, we just, just, we just didn't it. talk about it. And you're um, sitting there going, who am I? What is this? Am I, I'm going to use a horrible word here, but I'm, am I really the freak now everyone says I am? Yeah, well, I felt like an alien. Yeah, all right. Yeah. So you're, so, so you're looking for community? So I was looking for community. So I, I found this online group and I searched Swire Syndrome one night and I found a chat room with five other women who had Swire Syndrome. So suddenly... There were other people. Right. And I thought, what is going on here? How dare my doctors tell me 
Five other people in New Zealand? In America. Okay. So I was, I was angry. Right. Because I, I wanted community and I had been denied that by, you know, a medical professional trying mm-hmm. to tell me that I couldn't connect with other people like me. So that's grown and it's moved to lots of different online platforms. And for the Swire community, we now have nearly 100 people in our online support groups. Worldwide. Worldwide. Now, Swire is a, a very specific diagnosis within the intersex community? Yeah, so there's uh, there's over 40 different intersex variations. Right. So Swire syndrome is one of those variations. Um, so it's also um, known as gonadal dysgenesis is another term that's also used. Is the intersex um, term what in the 60s, 70s, mm-hmm. used to be referred to as hermaphrodite. Is that the same term that's been moved? Is that something completely separate? So herm- hermaphrodite was a term which was used in the past. Um, or is that a specific diagnosis in the intersex community? There, as medical technology has developed, there has been a better capacity to be able to specifically pull out different variations and label them and give them you know, individual titles and right. names. But... Yes, back historically in medical textbooks, hermaphrodite was terminology that was used to describe people with variations of sex characteristics. So, you know, if you, if you went back 60, 70 years, then yes, I would be sitting in that category of but being that, I, I, How long have we been able to, like, splice through the chromosomes? Like, when did that technology start? Because I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm, sure I'm, of a date. I, I'm assuming that without being able to check out the chromosomes, you yourself, let's say 200 years ago, would have would have been not identified because you have no physical characteristics, as you're saying, other than being tall. Mm. Um, so no, you wouldn't have known. No one would have known. What so when it, did that tech, like is that? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I can't tell you when that is. Right. Um, but the, the thing with intersex variations is there's lots of different times today when people are diagnosed. Mm-hmm. So for infants, you will sometimes get infants who are born with. Um, sexual anatomy which may not be seen to be normal yeah and so that is you know an apparent reason to for the medical community to do some diagnosis around that and then you move into adolescence so for me I'm sort of another typical umbrella of people who don't go through puberty Mm -hmm. and testing being done around the time of puberty to see what's going on then you have adults who are trying to get pregnant quite often who then discover they're intersex. Right. And sometimes, you know, it's after an autopsy that a family will discover wow. that their loved one did have is an that, intersex variation. Is that interesting to find that out? Like, sorry, interesting is the wrong word. Is that important to find out? Like if, if someone passes away and no one knew their whole life and at the end of their life they find that out, is that still an important thing for the family to know or is that something that's that, that shouldn't be passed on? I, well, interesting question. I guess it's a case-by-case basis. Um, and, I, you know, you need to hold the privacy of someone's information. Mm-hmm. Um, there can be, with any medical variation or medical condition, there can be g- sometimes genetics that are passed down and mm-hmm. sometimes that may be useful in terms of um, knowing if there are going to be healthcare needs for a child. But, yeah, no, I it's something that I'd have to think on. I... I mean, for me, I, I as an intersex person, for me, I live a, a happy, normal life, and mm. I don't think it's, in terms of me telling my other family members, it's more of an awareness to right. you know let them know about our community and the struggle that our community is going through, rather than my personal story and me wanting a sympathy vote. So tell me about the struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, how is your life different 
knowing the diagnosis Mm -hmm. and being out there as an advocate versus not knowing the diagnosis Mm -hmm. and then maybe hypothetically knowing the diagnosis but keeping it to yourself. Like Mm -hmm. you you say struggle, I think things like discrimination, I think things like uh, difficulty in life. Explain a can't really do a typical because everyone's stories is their own and different but explain to me the sorts of things you're talking about when you talk about struggle mm-hmm. specifically around the intersex community okay um well going back to hermaphrodite you know that's terminology which is still floating around right um and it's really misleading um in terms of you know a hermaphrodite is typically seen as someone who has a full set of male and a full set of female that's how I would think of that term from the days gone by yeah and it's it's in in the human species it's nearly impossible for that to happen it has been seen in species like snails for example but it's you know it's one reason why people have changed terminology because it's not an accurate representation and it immediately brings an assumption in my opinion of genitals right and there's so many variations and a lot of people who have an intersex variation do not have genitals that are seen outside of a female-male binary. Right. Um, you know, you have hormones and internal characteristics which aren't viewable. So that for me, that's why I, I, I don't associate myself with the term hermaphrodite. There are some older members of the intersex community who were brought up with hermaphrodite terminology being used in medical settings mm-hmm. who still hold that terminology and choose to use that terminology. So they still own it? Some some people do. They, they've, they've either continued to hold it or they've come back and they're using that terminology. And is that okay? Terminology. Absolutely. It's, like self, it's, it's, it's someone's personal belonging and sense of identity and they're choosing to, to use that terminology on their grounds. I watched um, that series, I Am Kate, that came out, Caitlyn Jenner, mm-hmm. I watched bits of that and there was one transgender woman on there who referred to herself as a tranny mm-hmm. and she loved the term and she thought it was, mm. it was you know, it was fun and it was, and all the other people who were travelling were like, it's an offensive term mm. and she was like, I've always called myself a tranny, I will always call myself a tranny and she owned it mm. and it's interesting to go if it's a term she's always used, was used in society at one stage, is now seen not to be used. Is it still okay even for that person to use it themselves? And I guess you're saying in the intersex community, someone wants to own the term hermaphrodite, that's okay? Yeah, in my opinion, absolutely. I think everyone's entitled to self-identify however they wish. Right. You know, we, we're we constantly fighting this, this model where we have to try and be normal and we have to fit in and we're to stay on the straight and narrow and be perfect and that frustrates me you know I've I've had people saying to me that I shouldn't be actively talking about being intersex and I say well why this Mm. is my story yes you know I've walked this I'm walking this and I don't I don't care what someone else thinks about the, the the terms that I use I'm respecting myself I respect the terminology that other people use I'm not going to you know be negative around other people because I don't necessarily agree with their some of their views and opinions. It's about autonomy. So with the um, intersex community, we were talking before about struggle. Mm-hmm. Is there an amount of discrimination against the community? Is there workplace difficulties? Is there societal difficulties? Uh, I think a, a big difficulty at the moment is, well, in Aotearoa, is funding. Um, right. So... So, for example, for me, um, to seek 
medical care within the public system involved an extensive wait time and I had the issue of the, some of the public consultations I had weren't particularly successful and I wanted to get a second opinion and that meant in a nutshell going and accessing private health care mm-hmm. and that's not accessible for a lot of people you right. know, that's been a massive financial cost for my family um, so that's that's difficult and then again if, if you look at things like going to a doctor signing up to a doctor's office and you have to fill out a form and you have to tick male or female and you know if you're someone who doesn't identify as male or female then you're someone who is intersex and wants to identify as intersex or or even just let the the medical professional know that mm-hmm. you're intersex it can be very hard to do that do you personally identify as Female. I personally identify as female. Yeah, so if you were um, going to, if that was you and the doctors, you'd tick female. Um, I I like to tell medical professionals that I'm an intersex female because right. my healthcare needs are different to that of, and I hate to use this phrase, but a normal woman. Is there? Uh, let me ask. Okay, so one of the reasons I wanted to chat to you is a we're mates and it'll be fun, um, but b is. Uh, you know my story. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of people who know my story. For the past 10, 15 years, I've been a strong advocate ally in the LGBTI world. Uh, I've lost work and lost jobs because of things like support for same-sex marriage in the religious community before it came in, um, culminating a couple of years ago in my then-wife coming out as lesbian. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I'm okay to say that is on my blog on patbrittenden.com, I've written about a bunch of that stuff. So actually that's when we met. Mm. Right, right close to when um, my then wife came out and we met. Maybe that was one of the reasons you shared with me because I remember sharing with you as well. Yeah. Um, so someone who has been involved in that area for quite a long time and over the last two years, obviously, there's been a lot more things coming up for me personally within the LGBTI community. I'm starting to get confused around lots of LGBTI issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... This might sound arrogant, but I kind of think if I'm getting confused from someone who's been involved quite intimately for quite a long time in the area, what about the average Joe on the street? How the hell are they going to understand the whole world of Mm. it? And one of the areas at the moment for me is this idea of gender versus sex versus how many are there Mm. versus is it a social construct? Is it a medical diagnosis? The, uh, the, the, uh, the narratives at the moment seem to say science say there's two genders. Um, the other narrative is um, so, uh, gender is a social construct. Mm. And you know what? I'm being honest here. <laughs> I'm confused by the whole thing. Now, as we said, you're not the expert mm. in all things, but you've just talked about the idea of ticking male or female. Yeah. So maybe let's talk about this now. Yeah. Medically speaking versus societally speaking. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe the idea of difference between sex and gender as well. Mm. Um, when you're ticking that box in the doctor's office, are you ticking gender or are you ticking sex? Yeah, exactly. So, so you just threw that back at me going, yeah, what are <laughs> so, you thinking? <laughs> um, it's, it's debatable, but, you know, f- from my understanding, sex, you know, and I know that um, Rainbow Youth have some really fantastic information on their website about gender identity, and I think they've um, mentioned something about sex being what is in between your legs. So, you know, at the time of birth, the diagnosis that you are given is typically, you know, you're, the sex category that you're assigned when a doctor picks up a baby, mm. how do they tell the parents what the sex of their child is? They will look at the child's genitals, right? And you know, you will you will be the child will be given a male or a female 
sex category. Right. And which is aligned with them as they move on on their journey. Whereas gender, a gender identity is a self-identified construct. So where does someone feel like they identify? So do you do you identify as male, female, non-binary? It's, it's, it's a complex structure, but I think if you look at it as sex being, you know, what you've got. F- physical characteristics, what you've got, versus g- the gender identity being. What you, know, you are. What you are, what you feel like what you, you are, feel your you identity, are. who you align with. And I'm not an expert no, in that and, area and look, at all. It's an interesting one because I, you and I know, and anyone who knows me personally or has read my blog knows that I'm a good person to have this conversation with because I'm not obviously homophobic and I'm not in the area of um, smashing minorities and stuff. Mm. But I still am raised with obvious questions like, what if a person feels like something they're not? Like, what if they those feelings are wrong? And I mean, I'm certainly about as far from a right-winger as anyone could get. But, you know, the right-wingers' questions to these kinds of things are, what if I feel like a penguin? You know, and I know that's a silly thing to say, but if we go by feelings, I feel is my gender, that to me seems difficult to quantify. I mean, but what... The thing that bugs me is that people get so hung up on sitting and identifying with one label and carrying that for life. You know, identity is fluid and it's changing and shifting. Identity is different from gender, though. I I don't don't disagree with that. I mean, I lived in Auckland for a long time. My identity was quote unquote an Aucklander I'm now in Dunedin I support the Highlanders I feel like my identity it's fluid yeah. that feels like that's I want to say less important than gender maybe it's not mm. but identity being fluid feels to me different like gender is fluid and again I'm not saying I disagree with you yeah. I'm genuinely confused yeah. because I want to be able to A be respectful uh, B have an understanding I'm even cool to have an understanding if I disagree mm. Um, and, and B, be able to have this conversation and kind of, I mean, a big part of my background in, in conversations is understanding the perspectives. Mm. And I feel like in this conversation at the moment in society, it just does, a lot of it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, I think we need to look at our transgender community. Yep. And, you know, you, you look at the challenges that are being faced by the American transgender community at the moment and they're being told that, you know, the, the diagnosis you receive at birth, you know, the sex that you are assigned is something that may potentially, if Trump's bill passes, will stay with that person forever and they will not be able to change that. And what is that? My opinion is that is words on paper. Mm. What does that what does that mean? That's But it's words on paper written down after something's been identified. Like you say, what's between their legs at birth? Why do so we it is just words on paper, but it's come. It's not just been like, I'll scribble my hand and it's nothing there. It's come from an identifiable something. Mm, but why do we need those labels? I don't think we do. Yeah. Uh, but look, I, look, I mean, if you said let's remove all, I mean, you know, I've been involved with the church for a very long time um, and I don't do labels at all. People ask me if I'm this and I'm that and, I'm, and I always say to them, what do you mean by that? Mm. And then I'll tell you if I fit in there. So mm. I don't do labels, but maybe I feel at the moment is there's maybe maybe equal push from both sides from needing a label as well. Maybe the community fighting to be able to identify their sex mm. is, I mean, it's like same-sex marriage. It's just a label to be married, mm. but the LGBTI community wanted that label. Mm. They wanted to be equal in that label. And I agree with that. So, so, so we, I feel like 
not hypocrisy, but there's this idea saying sometimes we say labels mean everything. Mm. So can we now now say labels we shouldn't have them? How does that marry up? Yeah. I mean, it's. I think it's about. I for me, I feel like people should be entitled to have self-identified labels. If you look at the LGBT community, so the lesbian, gay, bi, trans community, the reason why the I is on there mm-hmm. is debated a lot within the intersex community. Some people say that I was born intersex. It's not an identity. It's something I was born with, and I don't feel like the I should be. On the end of LGBT. But wouldn't that be the same argument as the L and the G and the B? Yeah, well, for some people, Born. yes. Some, not everyone in those communities In fact, couldn't feels, you argue that for all of them? Even the transgender community would say, oh, I'm born like that? You, is, could, you could, but there's, you know, that, and there's some, there, there's a lot of debate. Um, for me personally, I identify with the I, and I think that it's fantastic that the I is there. Mm-hmm because the intersex community is sitting alongside all of these other amazing rainbow communities and all of us face huge amounts of marginalisation within society. And, you know, because we don't sit in this heteronormative, binary, beautiful little box (laughs) that someone in society constructed. You've got your own beautiful box. I mean, you've got Um, the rainbow. There can't be a more beautiful box than that. So it's... (laughs) You know, that's that's an interesting factor. But for the intersex community, that, that can lead to some people in society being confused mm. as to what's why is intersex there? What's the difference between intersex and trans? Are intersex and trans the same thing? Really? Okay, yeah, so, he, lot, so, so here's, here's my ignorance, right? I, I, this is how I would assume, right? I mostly assume that intersex, and you've described it today, is, is chromosomal and, as you say, based on... Um, you know, the non-normative... Physical sex phys- characteristics. Yeah. Whereas mm. I always have assumed that one of the big parts of transgender is someone who is uh, given, given, identified as their sex at birth mm-hmm. and they feel like mm-hmm. they uh, are, are convinced that their sex mm-hmm. is the opposite. Mm-hmm. And it's not about the orientation because I know transgender men so they they were they were given the sex female at birth Mm -hmm. they've transitioned to a man and they date men exclusively Mm -hmm. and i know the exact not the opposite but a transgender um, men who were given the uh, sex woman girl at birth who now date women Mm -hmm. as a as a male as a transgender male Mm -hmm. so i would think the difference is transgender um community want to transition from one sex to another, mm-hmm. whereas that doesn't seem to be a um, narrative of the intersex community. It is for some members of our community. For so, some? So, so there are some people who have received an intersex diagnosis mm-hmm. who do identify as trans. And that's 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 an important thing to factor in is, you know, the, the changing nature of identity as well. You but know, would it be that, again, my ignorance perhaps, but my assumption would be that all transgender people feel like that, for want of a better word, they're in the wrong body, whereas it seems like you're saying some intersex people do. Yes, some, not not all intersex people identify as trans. Yeah, yeah. whereas all transgender people identify as being sort of in the wrong body. Well, I, I'm not trans, so I, right. I, can't, okay, I, know, can't speak to, I can't speak to that. Yeah, all right. Yeah. And listen, I could I could be getting 500 tweets when I'm finished saying, you freaking redneck, got it wrong, don't understand. Look, no, no, no. I got it wrong. I don't understand. That's why we're having the part of this conversation. And I want to say again, to give you an out, 
you're not the bastion of all knowledge in this area. It's just that <laughs> you have an interesting story. Um, yeah, and okay. Google's not always a good thing either. No, Dr. Google is often wrong. Yes. <laughs> Asking Dr. Google. Now, let's just talk a bit about your stuff again, because mm-hmm. like I said, we met a couple of years ago and you were just starting to get into the area of advocacy. Mm-hmm. And since then, you don't seem to have gotten off an international plane for more than about five minutes. <laughs> I've been busy. Yeah, so just tell us about the last couple of years, what you've been doing and what you're, what you're trying to do. Um, so I joined, uh, joined the Intersex Awareness New Zealand Board. Uh, so we're a charitable trust based in Wellington. Um, ITANS has been operational for over 20 years and we are the only intersex-led organisation in the country. And so I'm co-chair of ITANS with Marnie Bruce Mitchell, who's one of the world's leading intersex advocates. Mm. Uh, so Marnie was present at the first ever American gathering of intersex people. How long ago over, was that? Over 20 years ago. Okay, so it's not it's not like a yesterday thing. It's no. been around for a few decades. It's been around for yeah, just over 20 years right. um, as, a, as active groups growing across yep. the globe. So yeah, I'm the co-chair of ITANS and I'm also voluntary project manager of Intersex Youth Aotearoa. So we are a project group of ITANS so we are trying to build within our board structure um, a capacity to be able to engage more with intersex youth in Aotearoa. So I sit with Marnie and we are the only two intersex people currently within ITANS doing work. So our, our work is very busy mm-hmm. um, and we, we face the issue of not having a lot of funding. So, you know, we're entirely reliant on grant funding. We don't have any government funding for the work that we're doing under our board structure. And so it's it's, it's, it's tricky, but we're doing amazing things. Um, we've been travelling. So I've been, in the past two years, I've been to America twice to present at the world's largest intersex support group conference. And this year I also was invited to go to Italy to co-present a medical research paper on intersex experiences of young people. So are you involved in doing the research and writing those papers or are you involved in disseminating and passing on that information? Um, So I was a um, research participant in the study, which was conducted just over a year ago. Um, And so I was invited um, by the researcher to go and share my experiences which I had shared with her as part of the research. You've also been involved in some work here in New Zealand from memory at the Human Rights? Have you presented Um, or something? Yes, so um, ITANS has been collaborating alongside the um, Human Rights Commission and uh, Intersex Roundtable. So the Intersex Roundtable that I have participated in while that was back in 2017. Um, There was also a roundtable in 2016. So that roundtable brings together experts from across the country, medical providers, community allies and advocates to talk about intersex issues and you know what are the needs of the intersex population. And from that, um, after I presented there, there has been funding allocated by the Ministry of Health to develop an intersex clinical networking group for children and youth. What does that mean? An, um, a, a so clinical the group, networking group. So it's a two-year group. Again, the structure is a combination of community participants, allies, intersex individuals, clinicians, um, and we are focusing on conversations around 
what are the needs of children and youth in New Zealand. With so is it like it's almost like a I was going to say a study group, but it's a group to 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 find out where to next. So we're we're, we're looking at strategies and all of the work. So the roundtable work was based off um, recommendations from the United Nations to the New Zealand government mm-hmm. about the experiences of intersex people. So all of our work is. Um, reflecting back on those recommendations from the UN and um, looking forward as to how we can build a different picture. You work with youth. Mm-hmm. Um, are you, as a part of your passion or as a part of your driving force to help people not go through what you went through when you were 15, 16, 17? And have you seen an improvement in those areas? For the intersex community, there's, I, I still haven't met a lot of young people which which is sad, but I can see the, the international narrative building. Like if you go into social media now, if you type in intersex, you'll get thousands, maybe tens of thousands of search results. Right. Um, but no, I'm passionate about changing the way that young people are treated at the point of diagnosis. I don't want a single young person in this country told that there's no one else like them because I felt alienated and I don't think that any young person or whanau deserve to feel like they're alone. So yeah, the work I do is driven to to make change so that our young people have community and that their, their social and medical outcomes into the future are really positive and there's solid support structures there. Because even for me now, you know, I'm nearly 26 and I have had to fight and I still fight regularly for consistent levels of psychosocial support which I think should just be a, is a, there, standard, a standard thing. Which, which Is there still a stigma? Of, is there still a stigma or is it still a mis- misdiagnosis? I'm thinking about the 1.7% mm-hmm. number again. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about schools here in Dunedin, a population of you know 600 kids. Mm-hmm. That means 1.7%. That means of every 100, there's nearly two. Let's say for every 150 kids, there's two kids there, statistically mm-hmm. speaking, who are intersex. That means a school of 600 that's eight kids. Potentially, yeah. So, yeah, statistically speaking. So, um, there's a lot out yeah, there. there's stigma. Is it the stigma or is it that, you know, much like yourself, perhaps unless you present with a physical um, difference, you just can't know unless you go into the chromosomes. And how often, I don't know if my chromosomes have ever been, and I'm a little bit older than 26, I've like I'm nearly thirty, um, and I don't know if my chromosomes have ever been tested or checked up on. Yeah, well, a lot of people don't know, and again, a lot of people um, don't necessarily identify as being intersex. You know, like we were saying earlier, some people will use terminology such as hermaphrodite or herm. Um, DSD was another term which was used and is still used by the medical community. DSD. So um, it was originally titled um, Disorders of Sex Development and a lot of people have you know self-identified with that as differences of sex development. Because disorders sounds like you got something wrong with you. Is that part of the stigma? There's nothing wrong with me? Yeah like everyone's different. Yeah. Um, I I know there's one intersex advocate who put up a post during Intersex Awareness Day which was on the 26th of October and um, they made a post saying you know everyone's different some people have belly buttons that stick out and some have Oof, belly buttons that real, stick they're in. The, they're the real freaks, those people with Audis. Ugh, you know, never support those ones. We're all different. <laughs> some people have got a big middle toe, some people don't. 
Some people have a dimple on their cheek. Some people don't. They're the best kind of people. Mostly with two dimples, they're the best kind of people. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. You can pigeonhole some people. Like those ones with long middle toes, yeah, they should be ostracised. No question whatsoever. But there's, there's diversity in our yeah. community. And you know, it's just it's so easy just to, uh, to, to get scared by difference. And, you know, I, I feel like I have a support and I have a community to talk about my experiences. And yeah. it's not that I want every person to feel like they need to be out and proud and waving a flag but to feel comfortable being who they are to hold that are there people who uh, run from this diagnosis i mean just i'm just thinking about school kids again Mm -hmm. i'm thinking about let's say a school of 600 boys let's say five to ten of them are intersex they Mm -hmm. do or they don't know but let's say they do um i'm thinking about you know, if a, if a presenting as male but is an XX chromosome, um, you know, mm-hmm. the stigma that may come with that. Is this something that on some levels, I'm not suggesting it's not normal, but needs to be more normalised? So much like I do hear conversations from my daughter at high school at the moment about the rainbow youth and the uh, the, the gay community that's mm-hmm. within high school and it's normal now mm. are we not quite there normalizing making normal no. the intersex community is that one of the struggles i mean i remember sitting in a year 12 biology class and we opened up a textbook and they were talking about normal males and normal females and mm. saying you know if you're a normal female you have xx chromosomes and if you're a normal male you have xy chromosomes but there was no conversation about variation there. had you been diagnosed at that point yeah i'd received the diagnosis and i'm sitting there looking at this biology textbook like where do I sit here? I'm not normal. This is school curriculum and yeah. I'm I'm not there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and it, you need support. I wasn't out because I didn't have a support network when I was diagnosed. And, you know, for me to start talking to people about being intersex, if, if things went wrong, then who did I turn to? Right. So I think a lot of other people will share that same viewpoint that you know it's it's easier to be quiet when there's not a support structure and someone you're telling you that it's okay and that they will be there by your side when things get rough because you know sometimes that happens the um the the um sitting in the biology class is interesting they've got the book in front of them that says male female Mm. Uh, this comes back to that question about how many sexes are there and when people do say there's only two sexes Mm-hmm. One of the things I always go is, well, where do intersex people fit in? Mm. So, what is the answer to that question? If someone says to you, "There's only two sexes," and you go, "What about intersex? What, what's the? How do we respond to that?" Well, I say to people, you have male at one end of the spectrum and female at the other end of the spectrum, and there are variations of sex characteristics which sit in between. Right. So everyone's the, different. You can't say that one into you can't say that all intersex people are the same, right? Because everyone has various variations. So we were talking before about um, sex being, you know, the doctor slaps you on the ass. They're probably not allowed to do that anymore. But you know, when you're born and says penis male, um, mm. and and no penis female, mm. whereas what you're actually saying is. Sex in itself, because there may n- not be penis or not penis, there may be other in that moment to define physically that there's more than one sex. But are we also saying that 
sex is also defined by the chromosome makeup as well. Yeah, well, see, that's an interesting thing because for me, it sort of makes me chuckle a little bit because I was <laughs> I was born female. Yeah. Because the doctors looked at my genitalia and said, you, you know, your daughter's female. No penis. But Sorry. I have XY chromosomes. Yeah. So, you know, stereotypical male chromosomes. And so, you know, my view is how do we establish sex in my situation? Because I'm, you know, ultimately sitting at either ends of a spectrum based on if you're wanting to talk about my genitals or my chromosomes. So if you met someone identical to you, right? With Swire syndrome. And and presented the same way physically. Yeah, I've met met several people with Swires. And they said, I'm a man. Mm Mm-hmm. How would you respond to that? Yeah, well, I I know someone with my variation who identifies as trans and is male and is, you know, a fabulous human being. Have they been through a transition, a physical transition? Yeah, they've transitioned. So if they hadn't transitioned Mm -hmm. and they said, I'm a man, Mm -hmm. how would you respond? So they're they're the same as you. They present as female, but they're XY. Yeah. And they said, I'm a man. Great. So that means you're saying that sex is on that continuum as is gender. Because we said before, sex is what we have. Yeah. And gender is what we feel. Yeah. Yet if that person presented as you, mm-hmm. you know, the same as you, mm-hmm. their sex would have been female. And then when they went through transition, their sex becomes male. Or were they male before they transitioned? In your opinion. Well, ev- everyone with my variation swire syndrome that i know of yeah was given a female sex assignment at birth yeah yeah and so you know for my friend they have transitioned they grew up as female and yeah. transitioned did they identify as female when they were presenting as female yes and after their diagnosis mm-hmm. even as identifying as intersex and transgender did they identify as female or did they start to identify as male at that point they came to have a male identity at a later point. So even when they were still presenting as female? Um, I haven't, I'm not sure exactly what the point was in which that happened. But what I'm saying is, you know, there's fluidity in people's identity. So I guess it's difficult for me because I'm a bit of a logistics and a bit of a logic guy. (laughs) I just want the formula. (laughs) Can you please make a formula for me that I can follow? There's no magical wand that's going to be waved. It's going to give you that that beautiful formula on a piece of paper. Because it sounds like we've actually changed a little bit in this conversation. Because when we were saying earlier that sex is what the doctor sees, for want of a better word, but if it's on a continuum, that means it can also be what someone identifies as. We were saying that sex is what the doctor sees and gender is what the person identifies as. I think both of the labels just drive me crazy. So what what can we do? Let's start a new movement. Hashtag... (laughs) No genders. Hashtag. Because, like, I've heard this thing, and I've heard it several times by people. I don't know if it's true. That Facebook has 72 genders to pick from if you go into your profile. I've never researched that, but I've heard it from numerous different people. Um, I wonder what the 73rd group are going to do when they go, we're not represented here. Um, And that's, I guess, an extreme version of you when I'm sitting in the doctors and there's male and female. how How do I present? But... As someone who is yourself, who is educating me a bit now, you're actually saying, in your opinion, that both sex and gender are on a bit of a continuum and the person who identifies in those areas has the right to sort of determine where they are. Yes. Even, even, Even if they present with a penis or without 
and I'm talking, I guess, about the sex, the sex definition now. And what does it what does it matter? Is my question. You know, I just I, I get so hung up on, you know, people, for example, like access to bathrooms and people. Oh, that drives me wild as and well. And people being so strongly opinioned I mean everyone's entitled to their opinion but mm. you know gender neutral bathrooms and people are like <sighs> but they already exist they're called unisex mm. I put a part I was down at I was down at St. Clair at one of the cafes down there you know 18 months ago right in the middle of the American bathroom bill thing and the toilets in one of the cafes said unisex and I mm. and I um Instagrammed it mm. and said something like you know the the American rights worst you know worst nightmare a bathroom that both people can use that actually we've been using like for the last 50 years. It's a unisex toilet. It's not really a big deal. Every toilet we have in our house is unisex. Oh my God, you are Woo! an evil man, Jason. <laughs> hey, um, I'm just looking at the time. We've been going for about now. That's just flowing. Um, I'd just like to add one little note about the percentage, 1.7%. Uh, the ACT Party had 0.05% of the vote, so the uh, less people voted for ACT than are intersect <laughs> in New Zealand by statistics. <laughs> By a factor of five. Oh, poor David. Um, before we kind of head off, just like to say thank you to Malcolm on uh, Facebook for posting that <laughs> Actually, we should say right now, we're, uh, we, as we speak, we're live streaming to YouTube. Mm-hmm. People can find us there, but also we do this as an audio podcast if people are watching us or are going to watch us, and they can go to Stitcher, which I don't know what that is. Um, but Jason tells me it's good. Um, Spotify or iTunes to actually get the audio version of this podcast as well. So, Fantastic. Yeah, I just wanted to mention fun. too that um, Intersex Youth Aotearoa is doing a fundraising drive at the moment. Uh, so like I mentioned earlier, we currently have no project funding. So I am doing all of my work in a voluntary capacity right. and I'd really like to be able to reach more young people in Aotearoa. Uh, so we've got to give a little page. Um, so if you search up Intersex Youth Aotearoa, uh, we've got some information about what we're wanting to do there. And we've already got uh, a link to Intersex Youth Aotearoa on our Facebook page. So if people forget this, if they're driving and listening to this, then they can just go to the Department of Conversation yes. homepage and find you on there as well. Um, other than your plug, which is great, is there anything you want to leave us with? Anything we've left off? Anything that's sort of a common question or comment around particularly the intersex community? that we haven't covered off anything you want to leave us with I just think celebrate diversity yeah you know celebrate the other than those Audi buttons celebrate the Audi belly buttons are great (laughs) Pat oh there's your page look at that are we bringing that up Jace oh yeah so that's yeah that is that was my fundraising page for Italy Um, there's there's another one which is up there I will pop the link up on our page this afternoon we're just having a look at some of the pages at the moment. Um, so yeah, that's our board page, um, Intersex Awareness New Zealand. So yeah, we have the um, so the fundraising we're doing is for Intersex Awareness New Zealand and some of the youth project work. What do you think about comedy um, that kind of takes the piss out of the LGBT community, or that's wrong? That takes the piss out of someone from the LGBT community. My my view is nothing about us without us. So I think that if, if that sort of material is going to happen, you know, if, it, if it's from someone who's outside of a community, I think that's really insensitive. Right. You know, and I, I mean, and not everyone, you know, it's not always going to be appropriate and people aren't going to always view it in a positive light. But, you know, in terms of, in terms of, 
like me being intersex, mm. if, if someone who's never had an engagement with the intersex community and isn't intersex starts making comments about intersex people mm-hmm. and acts like they're an expert, that really annoys me. What about if it's just, um, I had this conversation with someone just yesterday, not about this, but it just popped into my head, you know, a comedian making a joke about Caitlyn Jenner sort of thing. Um, they're not about us without us if they're not um, transgender. It's, it's, that would seem to be inappropriate. But what do you think? It's a big reflection of ignorance. In, in what way? You know, why making making a joke about somebody? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that if you know that person sat down and had time to to speak to Caitlin and get to know Caitlin, would you know not feel comfortable making those sort of comments and I think social media is a bit of a beast because it's so easy to go and post a whole lot of stuff on Twitter you know Trump's a good example of that Mm -hmm. Um, but you know a a face-to-face interaction and getting to know someone is a completely different experience because this is the conversation we had just yesterday and the the other the other part of this conversation was uh, and it's got nothing to do with the LGBTI community but just the uh, for want of a better word target of the comedy uh, the flip side of that is if we let the target of the comedy dictate who can do the comedy, then what is going to be left? Can the Catholic Church say, if you're not part of the Catholic Church, don't make jokes about us? Can men say to women comedians, you're not a man, so you can't make a joke about how men function? Where does that stop? Not from a point of me disagreeing with you, but kind of going, yeah, well, so where, how do we, how do we, navigate this in society today yeah well you know there's there's always a conversations about pc you know and people will quote and say all of this pc nonsense which is going around uh, you know my, my opinion my humble opinion is we need to respect people wherever we can mm-hmm. and comedy has its place but it's it's to be sensitive about it it's it's, it's a balancing act right um but I, I i you know i know that people in the lgbt community have been outed and ostracized a lot and little comments like that, although it may be said in jest, mm-hmm. can be really hurtful for people and really triggering. And yeah, it, it, it's something that I I don't support without you know support of a community who are being spoken about. I remember uh, I used to work and talk back for a long time, and people used to talk uh, about being PC quite a lot. And my my repetitive phrase to them was normally most people who understand what peace being PC really is never talk about it and those people who don't understand anything about being PC are the ones who throw the label out all the time so it's they the, the ones that don't have the understanding of what actually it means to be politically correct are the mm. ones who throw the label around mm. and the ones who kind of get it they don't because they don't need to it's a label that some people use but anyway sorry a little tangent there I was just thinking hey um thanks for hanging out with me that was fair. You're on holiday at the moment. You're going to go to the batch and chill out and stuff. Yeah, I am just on the hunt for work at the moment. So nice because you're a trained teacher between yeah? jobs. Yes, I'm a trained teacher. Yeah. I've worked in the disability sector for seven years. Yeah, um, and I'm wanting to get into um, medical advocacy, LGBT rights. Nice. Um, so I'm just so if you could wave your magic wand and have a dream job, would it be working in the area of advocacy, full time, paid employment? Absolutely. Well, there you go. Throw it out there. Who knows what might happen. <laughs> What you should do is just uh, run for parliament, uh, get get more votes than act, and then you can just use your uh, parliamentary salary to do it. There you go. Easy. Hey, and I could even go on Dancing with the Stars. We, have, be fun. we have to win a seat, though, as well, if you're going to be act, because if you get 5% or win a seat. 
So right. move to Epsom. All right. Um, <laughs> people can find you on the uh, youth, the Intersect Youth Aotearoa Facebook page. That's correct. And um, George Andrews, thank you for coming in and giving up some of your time to hang out. And it's been lovely to see you again. Yeah, great to catch up. Thanks so much. Well, there we go. Thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, this Saturday, which, as we record this, is the 3rd of November, Jeremy Alwood, comedian from Seven Days, is going to be with us, live streaming again from 11 o'clock. So if you want to get us on YouTube and see the conversa- uh, conversation live, it's at 11 o'clock, of course. The audio podcast will come up after that as well, the uh, the bank of video on the U, uh, YouTube channel as well. So uh, Jeremy Alwood, this Saturday, next week, we're hopefully going to be speaking with Professor Robert Patman. We still have to kind of figure out how that's going to work about the midterm elections in America. Uh, so keep tuned for that. Check out the Facebook page for those details if it's going to happen. But that's where we'll be going, fingers crossed. Um, but that was uh, Georgia Andrews. Head to our Facebook page and find out all the details of how to get in contact with the uh, Intersex uh, Youth Aotearoa group if that interests you some more. And apart from that, just thanks for hanging out with us for an hour or so and... Look forward to maybe having a chat with you next week about more interesting things in the Department of Conversation. Until then, hooroo!